This is Letters from the Lunchbox, a podcast centered on the short stories written by author Raylene Burnett. Her work was inspired by powerful messages a father left on 3x5 cards in his children's lunch sacks as he battled cancer. He'd sometimes write words filled with humor, or other times he'd somberly ponder the future or offer gentle reflections. Perhaps most of all, he'd relay encouragement and well wishes for all that lay ahead. Each episode, we invite a guest to share their story and ask the question, what would your 3x5 card say? I'm your host, Olivia, and I get the pleasure of telling you guys this week's story. Um, This actually comes from a story I heard a few weeks ago, but I wanted to begin my story by having you think of the worst Disney villain of all time. Now, I don't know who popped into your mind, um, but the first person who popped into my mind when I was asked that question is Maleficent. Not the new Maleficent movies, but the OG Maleficent with Sleeping Beauty. I remember watching this movie growing up, and when Sleeping Beauty is going to prick her finger on the spinning wheel and she's following that green light... I would always get so scared. I had to run out of the room. So childhood PTSD is maybe why I thought of Maleficent. Um, But I think some other ones, you know, we have our evil queen, Snow White. She's pretty freaky. Um, Take Ka from Moana, also underrated. But when that monster's chasing Moana, spooky. Um, Other ones I thought of is Hades. Ursula, I just saw the new Little Mermaid, and Ursula in there is actually kind of scary. Or also the Shadow Man from Princess and the Frog, how he's like casting spells on everyone. Anyways, I don't know who you guys thought of, but before I tell you the answer, I'm going to tell you a little story. And in this story, it's a story that I'm sure most of you are all familiar with. It's The Lion King. But I want you to picture yourself as Simba as I tell this story. So let's begin. So you are Simba. You are born to be a king. One of the first moments of your life is being, you know, lifted up to all the other animals who are so excited that you are the new, going to be someday the new king or queen. And as you grow up, you sing a pretty brilliant song about you being king someday. You just know. You just know that that is who you are going to be. It's just a matter of fact. And honestly, you're a little bit overconfident. You're a little bit cocky, but that's okay. Again, it's just who you know you're going to be someday. You were born to be a king. Your dad is the king. He's the most powerful ruler. You love him so much. Think about your own parents or someone in your life, you know, that you look up to a lot. And this is how you as Simba feel about your dad. And you don't think he's really scared of anything. So one day, you get a little bit too cocky. And you go wander off to this elephant graveyard, right? Because obviously, you're going to be the future king. You can handle anything. And what happens when you find yourself tangled up with some hyenas who unfortunately want to kill you and your dad has to come in and save your life? As you're walking home, your dad makes sure that your friend Nala gets home safely and then says he has to teach you a lesson. So embarrassed and scared, (laughs) you sit down next to your dad and your dad tells you what you already know that what you did is wrong but he's teaching you a lesson and you tell your dad I don't think you're scared of anything and your dad says I was scared today I was scared of losing you in this moment as Simba what are you feeling what are you what are you thinking 
fast forward a little bit, you know, through a lot of unfortunate events, which those of you who have seen Lion King know, your dad dies at what you think is your fault. And as you're sitting in that ravine, tapping your dad, saying, Dad, wake up, wake up, please wake up. What are you feeling then? The person who you looked up to most in this world, the person who you thought was scared of nothing, is gone. And then you're told that it's your fault. And to run away, to run far away, and to never come back. So what do you do? You run away. Now here's where we meet Timon and Pumbaa. And I'm going to tell you a really hot take right now. The worst Disney villains of all time, at least at this stage, are Timon and Pumbaa. And (laughs) I'm sure your initial thoughts are, what? Why? Timon and Pumbaa? They're like the happiest, funniest guys in all of Disney history. But why I believe they are the worst Disney villains of all time is because... They convince a king to eat bugs. And now it's not a malicious thing on their part. But when they teach you one of the most beloved phrases of all time, Hakuna Matata. You know, the phrase that Etsy puts on little boards and it's in mom's kitchens and on door frames and on walls. All this mantra about Hakuna Matata. This carefree lifestyle. When you as Simba, you are feeling so much guilt, so much shame, so much embarrassment, you don't know how you can ever go back to the life you live. And you accept this carefree attitude of Hakuna Matata. It's actually one of the greatest losses of your character and who you know you're supposed to be. So fast forward a few years. Every time you think about your dad, every time you think about who you are meant to be, meant to be a king or a queen. You say, heck, Hakuna Matata. No worries. But you start to remember. Your friend Nala finds you. And she asks, what happened to you? You stare up at the stars with Timon and Pumbaa, who ask, you know, what's up there? And you remember what your dad told you, that all of the great kings are up there looking down on you. And when Timon and Pumbaa laugh at you, you say, oh yeah, that's stupid. But even when Nala asks, who are you? I don't recognize you. You say, I can't go back. You don't understand. It's not until Rafiki, the monkey, who first off tries to get you to remember. And you again say, no, 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 not me. He says, I know who you are. You're Mufasa's son. It's only then that you chase him down and you have to know how he knows this person that you used to be. Then, in all our Disney magic, you look up in the sky and Rafiki shows you your dad. And your dad tells you, you have forgotten me. And you say, what? Me? Dad, how could I have forgotten you? I think about it every day. I'm, I'm harrowed up by this every single day. I can't even process it. I can't even think about it because I'm the one that killed you. How can you ever think that it was me that forgot you? And your dad says to you, you have forgotten who you are. So in turn, you have forgotten me. Now, you have a choice to make. You can either continue this carefree lifestyle or go back and that's when Rafiki the monkey tells you his most infamous line that the past can hurt but you can either run from it or you can learn from it now we all know what Simba does he goes back he defeats Scar marries Nala and has his own little king or queen And I'm sure you know where I'm going with this. (laughs) But in a recent talk, it says, The challenges of life can knock us down, but know that when we exercise faith in Jesus Christ, our affliction shall be but a small moment in the grandscape of eternity. 
Please do not create a deadline for the end of your difficulties and challenges. Trust in Heavenly Father and do not give up. For if we do give up, we will never know how the end of our journey would have been in the kingdom of God. If Simba had stayed saying Hakuna Matata, we never would have known how the story ended. Was it scary? Was it hard? He had to go back and, you know, at that point, he believed that he had killed his father. He had to go back and face that. So no matter where you are, no matter if you are in a place of life where, you know, you're saying Hakuna Matata, or if you're running back towards your home and you still feel like nothing is working, remember that you have a divine mission. We all have to have courage to be who we want to be rather than who we have limited ourselves to become. You know, I know that a lot of times I get stuck saying, hey, Hakuna Matata, it's not that deep. It's fine. I'm fine. I'm not that worried about it. But again, if Simba hadn't had the courage to remember who he is, who his father had taught him to become, who our Heavenly Father teaches us and promises us to become, he never would have gone back and defeated Scar. So even though it's easier to say no worries, choose the harder right so you can find out how your story's supposed to end. We're so excited to have Kate Stone on the podcast with us today. Kate was born and raised in Midway, Utah with all brothers. So she grew up um, motor, like riding motorcycles, motocross, essentially anything with wheels. Um, she served a mission in Portugal and graduated from BYU with her degree in communications. Kate now runs and operates her own videography business, filming weddings, literally across the entire world. I think she's been to almost every single uh, state and tons of different countries documenting and creating these special events for people. So, Kate, welcome. I am so excited, a little nervous to be here, but honored that you would ask me. Uh, Kate, just so you guys know, she is one of my absolute best friends. So, um, always, you've always been someone that I have admired and looked up to in a lot of different ways. So, really really grateful that you would well I feel like I am not I I'm just I always joke I'm the most average girl you'll ever meet so I feel like just privileged that you would even want me to be here no absolutely well Kate will you I think you have seriously just the most amazing story so just take us back in time a little bit and will you tell us I mean you're only 24 but tell us I mean mainly like these last four years of your life I feel like you have been through so much (laughs) I feel like I have lived more life in the last you know I guess my 20s than a lot of people our age have um and so yeah um I graduated high school and started immediately two weeks later at BYU um all the while dating my high school sweetheart and um I got a mission call six months later um left on a mission after my freshman year at BYU and loved it, served that mission, um, loved the people of Portugal, um, came home, went straight back to BYU, um, and did what every return missionary, um, you know, 20-year-old girl who grew up in the LDS church is, you know, quote-unquote supposed to do, which is look for someone to marry. And, um, that high school sweetheart of mine, we had been dating for four years at that point, both return missionaries, and we quickly got engaged. We very much followed the typical Utah um, timeline, the typical Utah story, really. I mean, to a T almost. Like, we are the people that everybody jokes about. And um, I got married a month after my 21st birthday, and I was married for two years. Um, spoiler, I am no longer married. And that's sort of where my story comes in. And um, so I guess kind of rewinding to that, I, um, again, followed very much this LDS path. I believed wholeheartedly that, 
you know, I'm like, okay, what's on the to-do list? Like, what's the next thing to do? For me, marriage was not scary. It wasn't something that I was scared of. I felt very good about it um, and moving into that. And um, shortly after we got married, I found pornography on my husband's phone. And it was not, um, I mean, it was a big deal, I guess, but it wasn't like a life-altering horrible like it was just kind of like oh okay well like what's this and explained away and you know we'd had those conversations about pornography and we'd had those conversations about um you know prior to marriage you know is that something that you've dealt with is that something that um you know you've had an issue with in the past and the answer was always no so um that being explained away I mean this is probably two weeks after being married like that was explained away and we kind of moved on Um, As our marriage progressed, there were other instances where um, porn was found or um, interactions with pornography were um, dealt with. And it later came out that, yes, there had been. So he hadn't been completely honest in that and there had been an issue. And it it wasn't exactly something that was a problem within our marriage. It was more so like, um, like, yes, that was an issue. It's not anymore. Um, And I, you know, it's all fine and good. And we were pretty happily married for the majority of those two years. I would say the last six months is when things sort of began to deteriorate. And it just, it didn't make any sense to me. Um, I had recently graduated from BYU and moved um, back home to Heber, closer to family. And I was building my business, which I still do, filming weddings. And I was gone a lot doing that. And he was building... Um, a business selling insurance and um, we were just he was in school and we were just kind of in that stage of life of being newly married and really just kind of busting our butts to get established and do things and it was interesting I I came home one day and it was like things maybe weren't great things have been deteriorating but I, I couldn't say exactly why I just kind of blamed it on myself And the fact that I was really busy and struggling really hard to pay bills, allowing him that freedom to finish school. And um, basically, I came home that day and everything changed. Um, There had been a brief conversation about school and everything. And essentially what happened is it came out that um, there had been some dishonesty. And at that point, I didn't know the full extent of that dishonesty or what it stemmed from. But basically, a lot of what I had thought within that marriage, uh, what was going on wasn't exactly true. And um, it took a few weeks, but it, it kind of came out more that the root of that dishonesty and the root of those issues was pornography. And, you know, my therapist told me once there's a difference between usage habitual use and addiction and for somebody to be completely engrossed in full-blown addiction is actually pretty rare and unfortunately that was kind of where we had found ourselves and that addiction had led to infidelity um and a lot of things that it at this point I'm 23 years old and I could not even wrap my brain around what some of that was um growing up LDS were pretty sheltered honestly and there were words and phrases and experiences and things that I learned through that that I had no idea even existed and um it became pretty clear early on that this was not a marriage that could continue and I felt so much guilt I remember reading every conference talk I could find, scouring the scriptures, going to the Bible dictionary, to the word divorce, and just, and it's brutal about it. I mean, the the talks in the church are brutal about it. The scriptures are brutal about it. And, and just thinking, there is no way Heavenly Father would have prompted me to get married at 21 years old, only to get divorced two years later. Um, and I really, like, battled with that. And what I will say, though, is, um, I, I mean, I come from a very privileged life and a very privileged family. I haven't had that much hardship in my life really prior to this. 
And I felt like this was Heavenly Father looking at me and telling me, like, I have got you and I will take care of you. I need you to trust me. And it was like the first time in my life that I really had to just step back and relinquish all control that I had because I did not understand. I could not see what was going on behind the scenes. And so I had to turn to him and I felt very led and very guided to um, kind of trust Heavenly Father to lead me through that and put me where I needed to be. And so through that process, I felt very inspired to file for divorce. And so I did and it was fast. It was about three weeks after all of that information had come out and um that went through very quickly I felt very inspired to cancel my temple ceiling um shortly after I had a friend from high school reach out and say hey I don't even know what's going on in your life but is there any chance you'd want to come and live with me and I on a whim a couple weeks later moved um down to Utah County because I knew that that's ultimately where I would end up and I moved in and met my amazing roommates and it kind of led to this um, domino effect of the only thing I can describe as absolute miracles unfolding in my life of Heavenly Father. It felt like he picked me up out of the hardest thing I've ever been through and taking me and plopping me down in a new life that he had created for me. Um, and basically saying, I've got you, I have prepared you for this, um, and, um, it will be okay, just, just trust me as you walk through this, and, and I felt very much in a bubble, and, and later on that bubble kind of, you know, popped, and I kind of felt the emotions of that, and it's now been a year and a half, and I have felt so many things, I have grown so much, I would say I'm a completely different person, but, ultimately what has changed is my relationship with Jesus Christ and um for the better absolutely um I feel like he was teaching me a lot of things that were absolutely essential for me to learn and and just so many that I literally couldn't even list them all but but ultimately what I've come out of this knowing is that I can't ruin God's plan I don't have the capability to do so. And while other people's agency can and will alter the reality of my life, if I focus on my covenants I've made with Jesus Christ, if I do my best to keep the commandments, and if I keep my eye, and if, if I, I guess essentially if I focus myself on him, he will kind of provide that pathway for me. And... Walking out of my divorce, I had a few very clear-cut goals. And some of them, I'm not actually sure why I landed on those, but they were to let God prevail in all things, to praise God every day in small things, and to do so vocally to the people around me, and to apologize sincerely every single day. Those were my three goals that I have tried to live by since. And I feel like... I am unrecognizable from the person I was a year and a half ago to the person that I am today. And I believe wholeheartedly that this experience was curated for me to learn and grow, to try and become the best version of myself um, that Heavenly Father has, you know, hopes for me to one day become. Yeah. I mean, first off, thank you for even just being willing to talk about such an intense, I feel like, experience to go through at such a young age. But, you know, in the last podcast, my mom um, shared a story about how essentially her coworker, Roberta, who had had her husband pass away in the exact same way that my dad ended up passing away from cancer, started at work with her just like right before my dad got diagnosed and how meant to be that was. And it's interesting hearing, I mean, I've heard your story before, but just listening to you now, not only like the people that were put in your life, but also like the people that you were put in their lives, right? Like one of the, I think, most prominent experiences with you I've ever had was 
when my dad died, like the next day, right, we were sitting out on my French porch steps and we had only been friends for like three months at that point, which is (laughs) crazy. Only a few months. It's so weird thinking back on that, but, um, you were one of like the people who I just knew understood what loss really felt like, right? And there was like a solace and a, a companionship in that. And so I remember you saying, you were talking to me about that scripture that's like, come unto me, all you that are heavy laden and I'll give you rest or my yoke is, you know, easy. My burden is light. And I remember thinking like I was 21 at the time too and 22 or no, no, no I was, I was 23 and I still thought of like yoke as being like an egg, you know, like the egg yolk. So when you said that scripture, I didn't really understand. But one, I mean, I think that we've talked about it since that scripture has had a huge impact. So one, can you speak to that a little bit? And then two, I remember you telling me that story where you were just like sitting in the car and you had decided that you were going to get a divorce and you, you know, I won't tell the whole, but essentially where you asked heavenly father, like, okay, do you got me? Can you just tell that story a little bit and then how that scripture kind of connected? Yeah. It's interesting because I feel like there's so much that has been blocked out just in order for my brain to have even uh, handled what I went through. The, I mean, it's, it's the deepest loss I've ever experienced. Um, but there's a few memories that... Um, I, <laughs> why this is the phrase coming to mind, live in my head rent free. I'm like, that's not the right phrase, but that, that changed who I am on a core level. And, and that experience is one of them. And it was, um, I had decided, I knew I was going to be asking for a divorce. And, um, we had only had supervised visits. Um, I think three at this point over a series of three weeks. Um, I had no idea what to expect. I felt a lot of uncertainty and worry and I was scared because I think with this type of loss, part of the guilt and and the frustration and the hardship that comes with it is knowing that it was something that I was choosing and I was inflicting this on me. I was inflicting this on him. I was choosing for this to be my story. And it felt like it was my only choice. It felt like the only option. And I knew without a shadow of a doubt that Heavenly Father was supportive of that decision and in fact encouraging me to do so. So I got in my red Chevy Cruze and I took the 15 minute drive from my parents' house to his. And I have never prayed so intently in my life. And... I thought about certain lines in my patriarchal blessing, promises I'd been made and and things that have been promised to me, specifically in blessings through that experience and just in my life and thinking about things I want out of my life, like a happy marriage, um, children. And I've always felt kind of just that presence of um, angels, my patriarchal blessing talks a lot about um, my ministering angels. And I have always believed that my children are my ministering angels. And um, I sat in that car not knowing what would happen. And as I drove, I remember turning the corner. The corners I've driven every day of my life up until this point. And um, just praying. I prayed, please let my ministering angels be with me. If I've ever needed them, I need them now. Please bless me to speak with your words and not mine. Please bless me to speak kindly. I'm like, I want this to be the kindest divorce there ever was. Um, There's no malice. And even in the hurt, like these are still people I love and care about. Um, And just, like, let there be a level of understanding. Like, this understanding that I've been given, please let everybody involved feel it and know that this, for whatever reason, has happened. And I I am forgiving. And I hope I can be forgiven for choosing this. Um, And then I just stopped. And I said, Heavenly Father, can you promise me that this is in preparation for something more. And can you promise me that this is for someone 
more? And I think that was kind of a naive question at the time. But basically, I think what I was asking was, can you promise me it'll be okay? And can you promise me I will get all the things I've been promised? Like, promise me I'm not giving up what I've always wanted. You know, a, a, a temple marriage. I didn't have that, though. I was giving this up in hopes of having that. I, I, I didn't have a marriage that would have withstood, um, you know, hardships and trials and it wasn't a partnership and it wasn't these things and I knew it in my core but at the same time I could not reconcile with the fact that I was giving up what I thought was my end all be all and as I sat in that car it is probably one of the if not the most spiritual experience of my life and I was overcome with like a physical sensation of like just love and an absolute firm yes and that's all it really was was an absolute yes this is in preparation for more and yes you will have everything you've ever wanted and I need you to do this now so that I can give that to you um and of course I'm imperfect and I'm a human being who needs reassurance and it was only maybe a couple months later again driving in the car I think it was shortly after I had met you coming down to meet friends and every single time I came to see friends I was mortified being the divorce girl mortified being this weird outcast who nobody knows and my story is so weird and I'm this black sheep and I just remember sitting there and again I asked promise me please just remind me are you sure it's gonna be okay and it was again and it was like do not ask again but yes resounding absolute yes and don't you forget it um and that scripture that you brought up it's interesting because through the divorce I I had some of the most spiritual experiences of my life um but I'm not really one to have you know like I I've never seen an angel come to me I've never I just never have had these, like, you know, these things that we read about in The Friend as a little kid, you know? Like, I've never had that. And 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 so lots of times my experiences are very subtle. But one thing is I will have scriptures that come and pop up over and over. Like, somebody will share it in church. I'll read it um, in the scriptures. I'll have this. And, and that's one of them. It's in Matthew 11 and talking about, um, you know, take my yoke upon you. Your burden will be easy. I will make it light. And, um... And I guess that's, I feel like that encompasses this well because he made me that promise. He promised me it would be okay. But if I were to just sit back and do nothing, I don't think I would get those blessings. And so I, and that that symbolism of yoking myself to the Lord is so incredibly substantial to me because if there is anybody that can carry me through anything, it is him. And um, if there is any possible way I was going to get through that, I found myself in the depths of despair. I was depressed for the first time in my life in such a way I was so numb and so hurt and so lost. The only light I saw was him. And I said, I choose to consecrate my deepest hurt to you. And I am asking you to please alleviate it. And he said, okay yoke yourself to me and I will take you through it and that scripture to me has represented my action I believe this is a gospel of action um verbs are very important in the scripture acting right so yoking ourselves to him coming unto him um they're actions and they're things that we have to do in order to Basically, I think show our willingness. And, and and to be fair, I think he does bless us even when we are maybe missing the mark. But when he says, come unto me, it's an invitation, right? The invite's there. It is a firm invitation and it is standing there anytime we need it. And there are moments where I have prayed and I said, I've done everything I can. I need you to do the rest. And sometimes everything I can do is simply offer up that little tiny prayer and I think that that scripture is a representation of that to me, of just that um, he says, come here, hook yourself to me, you know, come to church, read your scriptures, say your prayers, do whatever you can, and I will lift you through it. And I will say a year and a half later, here I am, 
and he did make my burden easy and he did make it light he did not make it um go away but he made it bearable until I had the capacity to carry it a little more on my own and heal enough to be able to look back and say thank you for carrying me when I could not keep going any further yeah I mean I think what is so cool about that is like you know obviously I'm a bit biased but I've been able to see you live that like quite literally every single day that I've known you and I think a huge part of your story that we haven't talked about yet is just the concept of forgiveness I mean in all the time I've known you you have never really even spoken like ill of him or like super angry or like I I feel like you have just been so kind and the first time I heard your story I was like how is this girl not so mad at what had happened I've never been married but to go through something like that I mean how did you find the resolve and the strength to forgive and how has that forgiveness you know impacted you throughout this entire journey it's really interesting because I've asked myself the same thing and I've never considered myself someone, I mean, we all know I have a very strong personality. I, you know, I grew up again with all brothers, like you said, it was the type of household where it's like, if you wrong me, I will wrong you even harder. Like I will come for you, you know? And and I am, I feel like even in my friendships, I'm like, someone hurts my friend, I will come for you. <laughs> Which and, would be a good thing. Yeah. <laughs> and I feel like, I mean, even I saw in myself, I was like, I am scared of like, kind of, I'm like, I know what will happen if I allow myself to go there. And, and to be honest, I don't remember making the choice, but I knew so clearly from the second I knew and even could recognize what was happening that, um, if I chose bitterness, I would sit in bitterness. And if I chose to be a victim or if I chose to be, um, I guess consumed by the fact that I was wronged in a lot of ways. I was misled. I, um, found myself in a situation that was unimaginable. I found myself suffering all types of abuse, emotional, spiritual, sexual, and all the while, though, I, I really, the one thing I am most proud of, I think of in my entire life, is that I have never really chosen to be angry over it. Um, and I am incredibly proud of myself. And again, I don't remember making that choice. But the forgiveness didn't necessarily come easy. And to be honest, it still doesn't. But it is something that I actively think about every single day and I say I choose to forgive and I think I mean I just think I had to look at it and think like it's almost like a selfish reason sometimes I think but to be like well if I hold on to this like I will be stuck in it forever and I don't even think I can grasp the entire scope of what happened and why and how it even happened but I again I mean like that scripture is just such an example by choosing to yoke myself to the Lord I had to let go of certain things and that was one of them and it was by choosing for forgiveness that I was able to feel peace and alleviated because it's just not a burden I was capable of carrying and I, I, I think at first it was like an act of like, I am choosing to forgive. I am choosing, I'm choosing to let go. And now it, I, it is real and it is genuine and it is absolute and total forgiveness of, you know, I, I all I want is for anybody who was involved in that situation, me, my ex-husband, his family, my family, to look at that and say there was good there and there was bad there and um, we hopefully have all turned to the Lord and chosen forgiveness and chosen to move forward and chosen to be better because of it. Um, and I think that's a lesson I've taken through the last year and a half of like, I can be angry and mad about things that happen, even small things like someone cutting me off, like, you know, while I'm driving, but it's like, that will ruin my whole day if I let it. 
But so in a sense, it's almost selfish, like I said, but it just felt like the only way out. And it was by choosing to alleviate myself of that because I knew I would be stuck there forever. Well, something I think that's really powerful about what you're saying is that whole concept of, of grace, right? Where it's like, we do all we can, right? Maybe if even like all you could do in that moment was just like you said, like desire to not be angry or whatever it may be, right? And how Heavenly Father like comes in and really gives us like a strength and a power and really just a capacity that is outside of ourselves, you know? I feel like the word capacity is something that um, has changed drastically through this experience for me. Like, it's my capacity to love, it's my capacity to endure, it's my capacity to forgive, and every single one of those capacities has grown. And I kind of have realized that that's kind of what life is, unfortunately, and and suffering and loss and hardship. You don't get over it. You instead grow the capacity to endure and move past. And, um, And I'm realizing that that's, you know, I think about, like, Christ in the garden right he wasn't sure that he could but he was given the capacity to do so and he was told that he had the capacity to do so and so like yeah we do what we can and the Lord will make up the rest and allow us give us that spiritual strength and ability to have the capacity to endure and move forward yeah I was gonna ask you like I mean, it would be so nice if after, you know, as soon as you got through this, that Prince Charming just came walking down the road and was like, here I am. You went through all of this, you know, like the next week. But how do you continue to draw strength and rely on those promises? I mean, you said it's been a year and a half now and, you know, we're still out here trying to figure it out. Obviously, I don't know if that really ever changes in marriage or married or not. But how do you continue to draw strength? you know, from those promises? I think it's been interesting because it was a lot easier at first. Um, And then there are moments where I feel where I'm like, why am I still doing this? Like, why is it still hard sometimes? And why are there days that are harder than others? And why, like, if, if I have a bad day, I'm like, I've been through enough. I don't think I need any more. Like, this is honestly rude. Like... I, nope. And I'm like, okay, I kind of need to like, I need to go back to that eternal perspective sometimes because, um, it is honestly hard. But when I think about it and I think about, I am only 24. It has only been a year and a half. And I look at where I'm at now and I look at like how I've changed and I look at what the Lord has made me in a short 18 months, you know, everybody, like my mission, for example, 18 months of my life, I changed a lot, but this past 18 months of my life, drastic, unrecognizable, and so when I think about that, I'm 24, I've probably got, what, another good 50, 60 years in me, like, what will I be in those years, what will I accomplish, and what will he make of me if I allow him? And if I go back to those things that I kind of turned to early on in the divorce of allowing him to prevail, consecrating my deepest hurt and hardship and, and yoking myself to him. And so I have to remember, like I could have never imagined a year and a half ago that I would be here today, that I would have such amazing friends, some of the best opportunities of my life, um, successes and failures, you know, in 18 months. So in the moments where I think this is still hard, like I have to remember, wow, he has blessed me so much. And again, if he has directed me here and brought me all of this, I just have to remember he is so much better and smarter. He is all powerful. He is almighty. He is infinitely good and kind and he loves me so much. He does not want me to suffer. He does not want me to be sad. And what he has in store for me, like if this is the pathway to greatness and this is the pathway to the blessings I've been promised, who am I to say that it's wrong? And who am I to say I'm done? Because he knows so much better than I ever could. Yeah. That can be such a hard mindset to keep. 
Like, I feel like that's something I, like, this past year have really struggled with, right? Where I'm like, okay, you love me, then why does my life yeah. look like this? But it's a really good point in that, like, you know, when you know his character, just like you were saying, you know how much he loves us and all these things, that he really just wants us to be happy. And he's going to put us on the path that, you know, that maybe takes us beyond ourselves. And so, you know, I'm curious, I think whether you're 21 31, 12, or 81, you know, there's always things that are going to take us beyond ourselves, things that we feel like we can't do. I'm, I'm too tired. I'm too sad. I'm too overwhelmed. I'm too busy, whatever it may be, right? Like, I don't, I don't have it in me to endure this. I don't have it in me to get through this loss or this, you know, not achieving what I want to be, whatever it may be. I feel like there's such a wide range of things. What is your advice to those people who are trying to get through something they never thought they would have to get through. My advice is yes, you can. And yes, you will. And the thing is, tomorrow will come either way. And you get to choose. Um, not much. You, you maybe can't choose how you feel or the certain circumstances or other people's actions. But you can choose your relationship with God. And I can tell you right now, again my relationship with Heavenly Father is the most precious thing that I have. And it is because of this. And I've always had, I feel like, a great testimony and a good relationship with my Heavenly Father. Um, It is now probably the most precious thing that I have. And it is because of this. And so um, my advice is, one, yes, you can. And two, when you can't, He will. And... um, I have seen that over and over and over and over. And I can't tell you, I mean, ask my parents. There were so many times that I would look at them and say, I can't do it. I can't do it. I can't do it. I can't do it. The first international wedding I had to shoot was only a couple weeks after I'd separated from my ex-husband. And I was petrified. I had to fly out of the country and do all of these things and prep and go and make sure it was ready and be alone. And, And I was horrified and they I remember there was a huge snowstorm and they went and dropped me off at the airport because they didn't want me to drive in it they dropped me off at a hotel the night before and I'm like sobbing I'm like I can't do this I can't do this I can't do this and they walked me to the hotel room and they said yes you can and they closed the door and they left me there And I feel like that is so symbolic where Heavenly Father will say, yes, you can. And he will shut the door. The thing is, if I called them, they would have been there in an instant. You know, they would have come back for me. But I think we all knew I had to. And so it's like in these moments of loss, whether it's a divorce or your dad dying or even something like losing a friend or or just these things that happen in life that like hurt so badly in the moment, whether they're huge or not, they just hurt. Like, yes, you can and you will and it will be okay. And what you can't do, he will make up for and you will grow into the capacity to be able to do it. And it is only by and through him. And so you have to turn to him and he will make you so much better and so much greater than you ever imagined that you could possibly be. Hmm. I love that. It really does feel like that sometimes, right? He just puts you in the hotel room and says, okay, bye. Shuts the door. And I'm like, mom, dad. (laughs) But you did it. Yeah. Yeah. And that's the thing is Heavenly Father, like he's right there. You know what I mean? Um, But yeah, he shuts the door. I feel like that's what coming to this life was. He shut the door. I mean, I'd feel like none of us were like, I mean, I think we were excited. But like, imagine going through the veil, come out little tiny baby. I, I feel like I would have been like, I think I take it back. <laughs> like, I don't know that I actually want to do this. And I feel like he was like, yeah, you can. Slams the door. Slams the veil. Yeah, slams the veil on me. <laughs> like, that's such a dumb example. But low key though, like, I feel like that's what it was. Yeah. No, and then weird. here I am. And I'm like, mm, I am not happy. I'm going through something hard. And he's yeah. like, yeah, you are. But yes, you can. And I even think back to like, Christ in the garden of Gethsemane, you know, and he's like, hey, Heavenly Father, are you sure? Like, if there's any other way. Yeah. And there wasn't. And Heavenly Father said, yes, you can. I think that is such a good point. I feel like 
you never really, like, you hear that story, right, where the Savior says, you know, if this, like, cup can pass from me, and you never really think about what that actually must have felt like, to be like, um, look, I know I said I would do this, and I still will, but is there any other way? I think there's so many things in life, like, where you know, like, just like you said, you, like, you had to go shoot the wedding, you knew you needed to do it, but it's like, where, and that's where, I mean, everything we've talked about, where that extra strength comes from when you feel like you literally have none left. Yeah, and I promise you, none of that was me. Yeah. None of it. And I am so incredibly proud of the things he has allowed me to accomplish yeah. in this time. Um, And I'm proud, not even of the things I've done, because again, I don't think I did it, but I am proud that I allowed him to work through me and make me better than who I was. And I am proud that I have turned to him And if there's anything I hope for for the rest of my life, it's that I continue to do that. Yeah. Because I alone am nothing. I on my own am just a girl who is trying her best out here, who makes a ton of mistakes. But by yoking myself to the Lord, I become so much more like this like godly potential I have as a child of God is magnified so intensely through that um that can't be done without him yeah well Kate thank you so much for telling your story I feel honored not only like as your friend but also just that you would be willing to talk about everything that you've been through um you know the last question we always ask on this podcast is if you could share, you know, your little three by five metaphorical lunch card and share it with everyone listening, what would it say? These are all things I've already said, but let God prevail. Consecrate your hardest hurt to him. You can do it and allow him to work through you. Thanks for listening and being with us on this week's podcast. Don't forget to like and subscribe and to leave us a review. Those reviews really help us get the word out to share this podcast with others. Our email is sharemystory@lettersfromthelunchbox.com. If you have a story you'd like to share, please email us, and we'd love to potentially bring you on the podcast to share it with others. We'll see you again for our next episode in two weeks.